1: When people talk about the Beatles today, it's often as if they sprung out of nowhere. And while it's true that they were revolutionary, radically changing the popular music landscape forever, they did not exist in a vacuum. They, in turn, were influenced by the musicians who came before them, particularly by black American singer-songwriters such as Chuck Berry. This week's guest is a man who has experienced chart success himself, Peter Houghton of the Liverpool band The Farm, who, as chair of the City's Beatles Legacy Group, is determined to give credit to the musicians who inspired them. I'm Laura Davis.
0: And I'm Ellen Kerwin, and this is Beatles City.
1: So Ellen Peter Hooton, obviously we know him really well from, from the farm, who were huge in the 80s and are still going today. He's also chair of Liverpool's Beatles Legacy Group and he came to us with something very specific that he wanted to talk to us about. Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Yeah, so when I spoke to Peter and I said, you know, we'd be really interested to get you onto the podcast and to speak to you about your views on the Beatles and this, that and the other, it was actually Peter himself who suggested, we, well, who said he would really like to talk about the background of the Beatles music and their influences and things that maybe aren't touched on as much as they should be which really it you know it's refreshing and it really sums up his role as being you know the head of the Beatles legacy group because he knows very much in his head what he wants people to know and what he wants people to learn about the Beatles and it's also about you know what people can find find out about the Beatles throughout the city so you know where they can go to find out about the influencers. So it's it's really, really nice and it was refreshing to have somebody almost um dictate how they'd like the episode to go, which which was lovely and it was nice to hear something a little bit different to what we've had on the podcast before.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously that's a subject we want to explore in future episodes and actually talk to some of the black musicians who were in Liverpool at the time. So Peter himself is a musician, do you think that gives him a unique perspective? Well when we
0: talk about the Beatles we talk about it from a fan perspective and you know we're really interested in the music and the band as a whole and the history and all that sort sort of stuff whereas Peter being a musician himself he obviously has a very different outlook on it and it's still a very positive outlook but it's just it's really interesting to see how another musician from the city thinks about the music that they created and you know the band as a whole it, it's just it's nice to listen to and it's especially good that he is now out there and he's promoting them because he's got that specialist musician knowledge and he's you know he knows what the Beatles would have been going through at their time so it's nice that he can talk about you know what it would have been like in America and what it would have been like in the city and really touch on those aspects of it Meeting me today and speaking to me about the Beatles for Beatles City podcast. In 2016, you were actually appointed the chair of the Beatles Legacy Group. And, I mean, was that an easy decision for you to just accept and decide that was something you'd like to do?
2: I was actually rehearsing at the time in in Lippa, believe it or not, you know. And I got a phone call through from um, Kevin McManus, who's the uh, head of... um, Little Music Office for the City Council. He hadn't taken that appointment at that time, but he just he, he was working on the music side of things, UNESCO. Um, and he just said, oh, uh, Joe Anderson's going to ring you up in a bit. Uh, be expecting a call off him, because I don't usually uh, answer my phone if it's I don't recognise the number, you know. And um, so he rang up and just asked me if I'd be interested. And I think I said yes, straight away, you know.
0: Was it I mean, what was what was your first thought when he asked you? Did you ever think, oh, this would be too big of a job, or were you were you happy that he'd considered you?
2: Uh, I'd been to um, the launch of the economic report at the city council on on the Beatles tourism industry and its effect, uh, and I'd also once been on a coach with Joe Anderson when we went down to London once. I'd sang in my life after a few drinks, so <laughs> I don't know whether these things had any um, impression on him, you know, but I mean, I, I didn't know what it entailed at the time, uh, and he said, basically, be looking at how uh, the city reacts to a tourism strategy, really, regarding the Beatles, you know. So, I mean, I was, I was honoured to, to, to uh, do it, but basically, I'm just, I'm basically the chair of a group of people. Who um, are very influential in the city? People like you know from the museums, from market in Liverpool, from uh, various places, you know. But from the universities, the one thing they haven't got is a commercial interest in the Beatles as such. So the idea was it to was it to be totally independent, you know? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's, it, it's it's I think I haven't had an office as such, you know. We we meet fairly regularly, like, but obviously, uh, I. You know, I think in the in the mainstream of things, it's about getting the um, you know the Beatles story across to people, where they came from, uh, what influenced them, and that that to me is the Beatles legacy. Because a lot of a lot of people don't you know they might know a little bit of the history about the Beatles. Obviously, they're from Liverpool. They played in the cabin a lot, you know, but they don't. I don't think unless you really read into it, you don't get a sense of What influenced them, you know? And that's what interests me. Uh, And I want to, in the future, I want to be coming, going to museums and going to the likes of the Beatles story and places like that where it's it's there in black and white in front of you, the type of songs that influenced uh, Lennon, McCartney and and Harrison, you know?
0: Well... that, that's what you sort of bring to the table, isn't it? You, you're a musician yourself, so mm. you've got that sort of outlook on it and you, you're obviously really interested in what influenced them and the, the real sort of musical side of it. Do you yeah. think Liverpool maybe doesn't you know, play enough on that side of the, the legacy?
2: Think, yeah, I don't think... I mean, there's obviously there's been a lot of written about uh, R&B on the Beatles, uh, but I think... I think generally in the, in the city and, and worldwide, I don't think people realize the extent that black music uh, had on the Beatles. You know, Lennon and McCartney openly talk about it all the time where their influences came from, you know, and which records that they were tra- trying to be like. But I think, I don't think that story's got across. You know, I think now, 2020, it's the perfect opportunity. Not to rewrite history, but to reassess the hisp- historical aspect of it, you know.
0: Yeah, it's a, it, it's more, I suppose, shining a light on it, isn't it? You know, things that maybe hasn't come to the for- to the forefront in the past.
2: Yeah, I think there's so much, you know, what what's been going on recently with, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and, and you know the uh, in racism in society, both in in the US and and the UK. I think it's brought it to a head, really, you know, because. Basically, you could put on Twitter if there was no black music, there'd be no Beatles, and we know that because that's a fact. That's what John Lennon and Paul McCartney have both said on numerous occasions. You know, without Chuck Berry, uh, without Little Richard, and without uh, Ray Charles, there'd be no Beatles because they were the they were the artists they were trying to emulate. People know the Elvis connections, but basically, Elvis was was recreating black music, wasn't he? So. Yeah. And John Lennon was always being interviewed and always saying, you know, uh, without they're the people that matter. Forget about Sergeant Pepper and, you know, the people that matter are Chuck Berry's Little Richards, you know, uh, Ray Charles. So I think it's important that we we emphasise that. And as a Beatles legacy, because of Liverpool being a port and because of those influences from all around the world, but particularly from uh, America, from R&B, in America, I think it's, it's got to be emphasised. Also, the fact that there's lots of talk now about migration. Without uh, Irish migration to Liverpool, the Beatles wouldn't exist. You know, I think three out of the four had um, Irish descent. I think there's even um, there's even suggestion it was four out of four, depending on which research, you believe. But Mark Lewison, in his brilliant book, Tune In, researches it all and goes back to where the actual great-grandparents were from, you know, in Ireland. So without Irish migration, without black music, uh, the Beatles wouldn't exist. I don't think, even in Liverpool, people are really emphasised that, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing with Liverpool. It is such a melting pot, isn't it, of different cultures and different things like that. How how do you think, personally, then, that we make sure that these bits are getting recognised in the tourism industry and in the legacy? It's about education, I think.
2: It's about education. I think the, uh, the um, you know the Beatles story and the Beatles museum and Matthew Street's both brilliant museums. But if you go into the Beatles story, there's, there's references to uh, the Beatles uh, heroes, basically. But I don't think it's it's referenced. You know, it's not. This is the genesis. This is the start of everything. You know, uh, and that's all about um, the narrative. And if the Beatles' legacy group couldn't do anything, it would be to look at that narrative, to see if that narrative is the correct narrative. Because I don't think most people coming from all around the world to, to find home with the Beatles, I don't think that is in the mind. They think something evolved from Liverpool out of nowhere, you know. Not realising that, you know, there was, there was all these brilliant records that the Beatles were actually playing in the Hamburg days and the Cavern days. They were actually covering them, you know. Uh, and they actually, songs like uh, Long Tall Sally, you know, was played uh, by the Beatles throughout and even on the last concert in 1966. It was so enduring, you know.
0: Do you know if there were any sort of local influencers on the Beatles?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there was, there's been a, couple, there was a documentary called, called Who Put the Beat in the Mersey? Which is about uh, black music influences on the Beatles. Now, people claim that they went to clubs in the uh, Liverpool eight area, and they were looking at uh, various black artists there and looking at different chords that they were using, not just from um, from seamen, but you know, for pe- musicians who were, used to have parties there. And that. it's a lot of it's a you know a lot of it's um, apocryphal. You know, we don't know. There's no photographs of the Beatles in these clubs, you know. But certainly from, um, not from primary sources, but certainly from other people who, say, for example, the Jacaranda. And uh, if you look at, you know, uh, Lord Woodbine, it, they wouldn't have gone to Hamburg without Lord Woodbine, who was a famous uh, character from the Liverpool area, you know. So I think all these things, it, it's all about a jigsaw. And it's, it, if, you, if you're ever researching anything, you know, you've got to get, uh, hopefully, by cross-referencing, an elements of the truth. Now, there's a brilliant photograph of the chance. Uh, it were a do wop group from Liverpool later, where eventually uh, some of them uh, became the real thing uh, that we'll, you know, most people in Liverpool know about, because they were massively successful. But the, pictured with the Beatles and Little Richard, I think it's in New Brighton, actually. But the Chants are also another group who were written out of the story, really, even though uh, Brian Epstein was representing them. I don't think they ever signed a contract with him, but Epstein was certainly representing them. Uh, and, and the Beatles basically backed the Chants at the Cavern because they didn't have, they were a the do what band. The Beatles played some of the music that they were singing, to, you know, and they played as the back, backing band. Now, some of their stuff, now you can get it on YouTube. it's only had a few thousand views, you know, a few thousand views. It's been up for, some of them have been up for eight, ten years. And that, to me, that's criminal because you hear those tracks and they're absolutely brilliant. There's one called uh, I Don't Care uh, by the Chance, and it put it into YouTube, only a few thousand listeners, but it's absolutely brilliant. And you can see why the Beatles are attracted to them because they they were black musicians, they were black singers, and... And the Beatles had always idolised R&B artists in America. You know, that's who they wanted to be like. There's no doubt about that. And it's certain records which changed the whole outlook, whole perspective. Ray Charles' uh, song, What Did I Say, was released 1959, I think it was. And I think Paul McCartney, Mark Lewis writes in his book that Paul McCartney heard it on a, a BBC show on a Saturday morning, took a note of it because it... He was so startled by it and went out and bought it. Not many other people bought it in in this country because it wasn't a hit over here, even though I think it was released over here. But it wasn't a hit, but the the Beatles became obsessed with that. George Harrison talks about going to parties in Liverpool with this record and making people play it for hours on end. Records like that were instrumental in the Beatles' sound and shaping that Beatles' sound, you know.
0: You know, knowing the music inside out like you do, can you hear really distinctively the similarities or, you know, if if people were to go back and to listen to those records that like you're, you're suggesting, will they also be able to hear the yeah. influence?
2: Straight away, straight away. It's the rhythm of the track, Ray Charles, what I say. You hear the rhythm and you just think the Beatles in the Cavern. In fact, they used to cover it all the time, you know. And there's other, there's other tracks. There's, um, there's a track by Bobby Parker, Called "Watch Your Step," and uh, I didn't know about this till I saw a documentary called "John Lennon's Jukebox." And John Lennon talks talks about the song. He said he was, you know, he was one of the great songs that he, you know he would carry around with him in his John Lennon's jukebox. and it's by a blues artist called Bobby Parker, who um, sadly passed away a few years ago. But he interviewed Bobby Parker as well, and they said, uh, you know, what you think of uh, because Lennon says. If you listen to Bobby Parker's "Watch Your Step, it might sound a little bit bit like I Feel Fine. And then when you play them next to each other, it's the same riff. you know. Uh, Bobby Parker had been influenced by other people. He'd been influenced by um, Dizzy Gillespie, the jazz trumpeter. So he'd got it from somewhere else. So it was all passed down throughout the generations. But if you listen to that Bobby Parker track, a few few groups were doing it, I think the Yardbirds were doing it and a few other groups did it, but the Beatles actually, uh, and the Ormond Brothers copied it as well. So lots of people were copying it, you know. Lennon uh, was quite adamant. He was saying, basically, well, we took it. Bobby Parker, he was there getting interviewed for this uh, South Bank show, John Lennon's Jukebox, saying, well, you know, man, I was flattered. I was flattered that the Beatles used it, but... I would have liked a little bit of recognition, you know, but listen to those two tracks side by side, watch your step, and I feel fine. And it's a revelation.
0: What about later on in their career and as they became bigger and they did eventually break America? Do you think their influences changed a bit or do you think they came into their own and started experimenting a bit more?
2: I think they came into their own definitely, like all those influences, all that melting part of... I'm talking particularly about the late 50s, early 60s, when basically they were covering a lot of other songs. They, they hadn't developed as the songwriters. They really, had, they were, they were in the, um, their apprenticeship period, really. So they were playing all of their favourite records from America, all these brilliant R&B tracks, you know. And then they actually put them on the first few albums, didn't they? It wasn't really till... Um, Rubber Soul and Revolver, which they really went into their own as uh, songwriters. So they uh, didn't tend to do uh, later on cover versions, you know. So as the career progressed, it was confidence as well. The confidence of doing your own songs. It was the Beatles were revolutionary in the fact that they were doing their own songs, you know. When they did that famous uh, audition many, many years ago when they were turned down. Uh, I think most of the songs, most of the songs, two-thirds of them anyway, were cover versions, you know, because they probably didn't have the confidence because they probably thought the, the people from Decca who were listening to it, they know these songs, so it's our interpretation of these songs. You know. uh, they'd already had Love Me Doing, Please Please Me written, but they, they didn't play them at the audition. So when you hear the audition, you can get that on YouTube as well, the things they played. They were turned down and you got to say to yourself, well, you know, it's not surprising they were turned down because there was lots of groups doing these type of songs, you know. It wasn't, as you say, it wasn't until the later years that they really flourished and they had their own identity, you know.
0: So do you think sort of Liverpool's musical heritage has been shaped by that, has, has been shaped by the, the, a sort of similar idea of, you know, the, the apprentice Periods almost, you know, and going to the cavern and it, everything being sort of replicated.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, it, it, you know, it depends who your heroes were. I mean, Lennon and McCartney's heroes were all these people I've mentioned, you know, and they wanted, you know, they wanted to be like them. And then when all of a sudden they were the biggest group in the world, it was probably a bit of a shock to them, you know. So a lot of groups in the, would have been playing in the cavern, that would have had similar influences. But the difference between the Beatles and those, the Beatles, Developed this brilliant songwriting. Uh, and it, it's about how they did that uh, and the influences that allowed them to do that. So they were touched with genius, weren't they? But they also had those, the template to work from. And the template was black music.
0: Like the Beatles, are, I mean, they're always going to have their own legacy. But why do you think it's important that Liverpool really makes the links between? itself as a city and the beatles
2: I think it's important because you know there's been a lot of talk about recently about uh, Liverpool as you know a major slave trading port uh, and Liverpool about about migration you know and I think we in a way we stand alone as a city in many respects because we've got people who are pretty progressive and saying our city was built. On immigration, our city was built on migra- migration. So I think it's important that through education that people are aware of that. Because the young generation coming up, they wouldn't be aware of that. I don't think you know. So I think it's important that that message with Irish migration and uh, and black music influences. There would be no Beatles, and I don't think, being, I don't think many people say that. I think Lennon said it and McCartney said it and George Harrison said it and Ringo Starr said it, but not many other people, you know. And it it just depends on your perspective. But I think now in the year 2020 with all what's going on with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, I think it's a perfect opportunity to, uh, to, to look at the narrative and look at those influences. I think it's a time now, a time for a period of reflection
0: yeah definitely it's it, it's a a great time to do it but i mean you did mention the pandemic it's also quite worrying because i mean there was talk of the um the cavern potentially being under threat what can you tell me about that yeah there was a bit
2: of publicity i think the, the headlines are probably a little bit misleading from what i from what i can gather off the people involved in the cavern uh, it wasn't under threat of imminent closure i think the idea was that they had to get across the next few months. Because uh, it's all about cash flow with with organisations like that because they obviously having still to pay rent and rates, but they're not getting anyone through the door uh, buying drinks over the bar. And, and
0: it, you know, it's not just the cavern. Obviously, the cavern's got its links to the Beatles, but Liverpool as a city, you know, it's got great musical links, and unfortunately, you know, there's there's been talks the past couple of years that maybe some of the music venues are closing down, and, you know, the Zanzibar not long ago was shut down. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, well,
2: it's, you know, I hate seeing venues shut down, you know, it's absolutely, you know, it's heartbreaking to see them go, you know. Nobody predicted this, so if you had no savings in the bank, luckily for the Cavern, they had... A pot of money for a rainy day. I think Bill Heckler even said, you know, you know, they had the money put away for a rainy day, but they weren't expecting a thunderstorm, you know. It was like, I mean, in the music industry, all our, all our festivals were being put back till next year, you know, and we had a few gigs lined up with Magnus. Uh, but, you know, we used to say they're going to happen next year. Hopefully they're going to happen next year, but nobody, nobody could foresee what was going to happen this year. So we can't really look... Even though they've been rearranged for next year, we don't know. I mean, you know, no one's got crystal ball, you know.
0: Yeah, and when, when people from, when musicians from Liverpool, do, you know, do well and go on to do well, and when venues, you know, thrive, they in itself they almost sort of reflect the Beatles' legacy, don't they? Because it obviously all started and it and it all grew and quite yeah. nice and organically.
2: I think so because they'll always be asked about them. Yeah. You know. Inevitably, asked them. You know, uh, during the seventies and eighties, when uh, Beatles tourism didn't exist really, you know, uh, but groups would be fairly dismissive of that of that period because it was the previous generation. But now, I think if you're going to get groups coming up now, where say the Mysterines Red Rum Club, you know, uh, groups like that, uh, they'll be asked questions about the Beatles, and I think they're proud of them. You know how could you not be proud of the you know the greatest group there's ever been? You know who revolutionised not only music but society. You know some commentators in the '60s were saying they're going to destroy society with this you know uh, permissive society and look at this length of the hair. You know and it was over the collar and now, you know that's the that's the reality of the situation. You know, so I think it's people have a different perspective now. You know that post-punk generation were singing about, uh, that was the past. But I think now, everyone, you know, Mick Jones was in The Clash. Uh, He was the guitarist in The Clash. He's a Beatles obsessive. But they sang in London call and phony Beatlemania that's bitten the dust, you know, because that was part of their image and their fashion at the time. I think everyone now uh, realises, you know, how unique and how uh, important, to society,
0: the Beatles were. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It wasn't just the music aspect. I mean, what they were talking about and what they were, you know, shouting about at that time, it was really different to what anybody else had been speaking about at that time. So, do you think that was influenced as well in a certain way? Yes, yeah, certainly.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, all of the uh, all of the campaigns in the in the sixties for. um Civil rights and also for, you know, uh, anti Vietnam War or things like that. They always had a background. There was always a Beatles song in the background, wasn't there? You know, so I think, yeah, it became part of the, um, of the soundtrack for that generation, really. I, I didn't, I was aware of the Beatles, but, you know, because I'd, I'd grown up in the, uh, in the 70s, really, you know, uh, it wasn't until Paul Weller said, go out and buy a revolver that I went out and bought Revolver. And I went out and bought Revolver thinking, oh, this is the Beatles, that's from years ago, you know, 60s. But And I listened to it and it just blew my mind, you know. It's similar way to the tracks that McCartney must have heard coming in from America, that they bought in NEMS or they borrowed in NEMS or whatever, Brian Epstein used to let them do. <laughs> that must have blown their minds. Oh, my God, you know, I listened to it, Tomorrow Never Knows probably about, uh, after Weller had said, buy it, so probably early 80s, uh, and I couldn't believe it. I just It was like, it was, it, you know, it changed my whole outlook on the Beatles, you know, and, you know, because we'd, we'd been used to the Beatles hits, you know, the the, the songs you'd always, you'd always known, but Tomorrow Never Knows, you know. It was like, uh, like nothing I'd ever heard before, you know, and that had been done in 66, unbelievable.
0: Yeah. So, what else do you think? What's the next step, really? What would you like to see, ideally, after, after the pandemic and hopefully when things start getting well, back to normal? Certainly,
2: you know, obviously, love the tourists to come back to the city. I think there's an, there's an opportunity here uh, for people to rediscover their own city as well because I don't think many people from Liverpool probably go to the Beatles story or the Cavern or the Magical Mystery Tour. I've done it recently. They're eye openers. They're absolutely brilliant. A couple of years ago, I went with all my mates on the Magical Mystery Tour, and we had an absolutely fantastic day. It was a Saturday afternoon, and then we went to the cavern after the, the uh, Magical Mystery Tour. And the cavern at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon was absolutely rampant. packed. We were thinking it must be like this all the time, but we weren't aware aware of it because it's usually tourists go on those things. So I think it's a Great opportunity for not only the people of Liverpool to rediscover, you know, their their own cultural heritage, but also uh, the people of the UK.
1: If you've enjoyed this episode of Beatles City, please remember to review, rate and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, where you can also find episodes from our first three series. Our guest next week is Dale
0: Roberts, who has made a living promoting Liverpool and the Beatles. One of his current jobs is to give tours of the cavern where he helps debunk some of the most famous myths. So next week, he's going to shine a light on some of those myths and tell us secrets of the cavern club.